The Apostle Paul was absolutely, certainly a committed servant of Christ as master. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Galatians 2.20, we probably have the most succinct explanation of the fuel in Paul's heart as he spoke of how he had been crucified with Christ, and therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this becomes, again, the fuel that just drove him in his ministry throughout uh, the course of his time from the minute he came to Christ on the Damascus Road until the day he ultimately gave his life as a martyr for Christ uh, later in the mid-60s AD. Well, Paul desired to be known as that very thing, a servant of Christ. As a matter of fact, if you want to open your Bible, which of course, as always, I hope you have handy, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to what Paul has to say in this regard um, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards uh, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Again, a, a, a pretty straightforward idea of what Paul wanted to be seen as. And I would say by extension, this is a good thing for all of us as children of God, as followers of Christ, to seek to be known as. In particular, two things Paul says. First off, a servant and a steward. The word servant there, servant, is not the typical word we usually see uh, for servant. Uh, typically, the word speaks of a bond slave and that kind of a thing. This particular word, however, speaks of uh, something a little bit different. It speaks of an under rower. What's an under rower? Well, if you were familiar with ships during that time, typically speaking, you had uh, under the deck, you had a group of people that were pulling the oars and that kind of thing to get the ship moving uh, in, in uh, you know, down, down, you know, across the water and that. But those under rowers were those who were literally rowing under the deck. They were forgotten about. They were not ever really given any uh, visibility. They were not typically seen as anything but just cogs in the wheel, just getting the ship moving forward and that kind of a thing. And so therefore, they were like the lowest servants on the ship. They were practically unnoticed, except when they weren't rowing and that kind of a thing. But an under rower, therefore, is somebody who is just out of sight, out of mind, and just simply goes about the work that they are given to do. This is their job, and they just do it because that's what is expected of them. And there's no recognition or anything like that. It's just this under-the-surface ministry. And I find that really wonderful when we think about Paul's view of himself. He sees himself in that way. Uh, somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve any recognition, not somebody who needs to be noticed for anything he's doing, but just simply a servant behind the scenes that is just doing that job that has been given to him to do. Uh, so he sees himself as a servant. But yet, interestingly, he also recognizes that he has been given a stewardship. A steward is somebody who is given responsibility over the household of a master or over some uh, part of that master's resources or something like that, um, uh, given responsibility. Well, an under rower, you would typically not 
speak of them as having responsibility so much as they just had a job to do. It was lowly. It was behind the scenes. It was unnoticed, unrecognized, basically. But on the other hand, Paul recognizes the great privilege of the fact that not only is he a servant, but he's also been given responsibility. He's been given charge over something in the master's house, in particular, as he speaks about it, the mysteries of God or the revelation of God. Uh, Paul, of course, was somebody who wrote wrote um, like a third of the New Testament. He's somebody who got direct revelation from God uh, in the course of his ministry and that. And he recognized that as a stewardship, not as something to give him an opportunity to stand out above or uh, among or above others, but just simply the responsibility that belonged to the master but was given to him to watch over, to take care of, to invest to watch over and to use as the master would use, but all the time without necessarily getting any recognition for doing it. This is this wonderful sort of integration of servant and steward, as Paul talks about here. Um, And that servant and steward is expected to be found faithful. Notice again, he says here, in particular about stewards, he says it is required in verse 2 of stewards that they be found faithful faithful, that they do consistently and on just ongoingly performing that ministry or investing in that which the master has given. Now, of course, in Paul's case, we see that pretty evidently throughout his life, right? From the minute he comes to Christ on the road to Damascus, he is about the business of preaching the gospel, of, of making the case for the Messiahship and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He is an evangelist, a church planter, uh, a mentor, a, uh, 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 a recipient, again, of the revelation of God and therefore um, um, the writer or, you know, dictator of, to a writer of the word of God and that kind of a thing as we often see. So much responsibility given to him, yet he recognizes uh, the importance of, of understanding that this is something given to him by the master and it is his responsibility to be faithful in executing that ministry or that responsibility that ultimately the master has given him. And he also goes on to speak of the fact that the only person whose recognition matters in this is the master's. Faithfulness sometimes is challenged by a number of things. Uh, There is oftentimes uh, in the course of time as we perform our ministries or as we steward practice stewardship over that which God has given us, which, by the way, doesn't necessarily even have to be quote-unquote ministry in some official sense. It can be stewardship over your family, your children. Uh, It can be ministry. It can be uh, maybe God has given financial resources, whatever it might be that he has entrusted to you, entrusted to you and entrusted to me. To faithfully steward that uh, means to invest in that, to pour ourselves into it, to recognize that it belongs to the master and I want to do with it what the master himself would do with it. And the challenges to that sometimes, again, as I was starting to say a moment ago, can be kind of profound. Over time, as we do ministry or as we pour ourselves into our families, our children, our, our whatever it might be that God has given to us, um, sometimes we grow weary in that work and we begin to cut corners, we begin to phone it in or something like that. We ought never fall into the trap of doing that. Uh, We ought always to give ourselves fully to that which God has fully given over to us. Um, Also, another temptation is to sometimes, um, you know, uh, 
I, I can't help thinking of uh, Pastor Chuck, uh, who started the Calvary Chapels back in the 60s and 70s. He used to say, be careful not to believe your press clippings. Uh, and what he meant by that was, is that if your ministry begins to get noticed and begins to get some recognition, sometimes the temptation is to think that the ministry is sort of fueled by your efforts and by your maybe your personality or something like this. You're doing something that is sort of hey, maybe worthy of that recognition. And suddenly that begins to undermine your capacity to truly faithfully steward. Because recognizing that you're a steward means recognizing that that which you're using and investing is something that's been given to you, and even more than given, entrusted to you. In other words, the master is saying, I'm going to put this in your charge because I know you're going to be faithful to use it in the way or to invest it in the way that I would. Of course, Jesus told, told a parable, right, about the, uh, the master who had three stewards, and he gave to them, or servants, he gave to them uh, different amounts of money, uh, one a thousand, one two thousand, one five thousand uh, talents. And uh, of course, in English, there's, it lends itself well to sort of understanding the, the principle behind it, even though the specific uh, teaching is on investing money and resources that the master gave. But certainly, the principle lends itself to whatever it is that God has given to us, talents or whatever. Uh, talent was a form of money there, but in English, of course, we think of the word talent meaning something different. But the idea of investing that, well, you had the one that had the 5,000 that was entrusted to that servant. They went and invested it and doubled it, made 10,000. Uh, the one with the two went and invested it and made four. The one with the 1,000 buried it in sand and didn't do anything with it. And he was condemned for that, whereas the others were commended for doing well by the master, by using his resources, as he had said. Well, there's, again, that principle finds its way out in terms of our own understanding of stewardship of whatever it is God has given to us. Again, if it's a ministry or anything else that God has given to us to steward, uh, as stewards, the idea is that we utilize that, we invest that, we pour into that in such a way as to bring a return upon it that is the master's. He has entrusted it to us for a purpose, and we live out that purpose with the intent of ultimately bringing him a return on it. Uh, in terms of, like, if you have a ministry, if you're an evangelist, a teacher, a, a worship leader, a, you know, you're doing anything, hospitality, you're setting up chairs, you're doing sound, whatever you're doing, teaching Sunday school, could be anything in the course of, of, of what would, we would typically think of as ministry. Investing ourselves in, in what the master has given us to bring him a return would mean that there is fruit from that ministry. There is glory given to God. There is growth among the believers. There is, uh, um, you know, some element that, that is, is brought out of that investing in that ministry. This is something that we do well to do intentionally, to not just grind the gears every day. Sometimes I, I get it, you know, sometimes we're, we, we don't feel like we've got what it, what's necessary to do this the best we can. We don't have the strength. Sometimes we're just feeling burned out and that kind of a thing. And that's a real thing. But when we pour ourselves into that which God has given us and it begins to bear fruit, there is tremendous joy in that knowledge and the understanding that God sees that. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 6, 9, I'll invite you to look at that with me as well. Um, Paul makes this uh, a similar statement to this in a couple of different um, situations. But in Galatians uh, 6, 9, listen to what Paul has to say here. In this regard, he says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
And so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are in the household of faith. And so as we serve him, uh, the encouragement is to not grow weary in doing good because in due season you will reap. Uh, and, and it's important that we remember that as we press on, as we continue on and just pour ourselves into that which God has given us, um, do so with faithfulness, knowing that God sees it and God does ultimately bring a return through that. Um, let me take a, uh, one more uh, point I want to bring out here is that Paul makes the point of recognizing that he does not, uh, I guess I started alluding to this a minute ago, but Paul's only interest is being recognized by the master, by his Lord, by Christ himself. He doesn't therefore uh, falter under the judgment of others because at the end of the day, everyone else's judgment doesn't matter. Is he being faithful to the Lord? Is the Lord looking upon the work that he's doing and saying, yes, you've been, you've been faithful over these things? If we worry about what other people think about what we're doing, uh, it can become a huge stumbling block to our ability to go on. We can't worry about how other people judge our ministry. I'm not saying that if someone has a legitimate critique, if we're doing something wrong or if something has happened and we're going off the rails in some way and somebody speaks truth to us about that, that's a different thing. But if we sort of live and die by what people think about our ministry, then our ministry isn't really about the Lord anymore. It's about our own recognition. It's about what we get out of it. But if we set that aside, as we rightly should, if we set that kind of thing aside, we're no longer we worried about what other people think. As a matter of fact, Paul goes even further and says, I don't even judge myself. I know what God has said faithfulness looks like, and I'm doing that very thing. And the doubts that may creep up in my own mind or anything like that, I'm setting those things aside because all that matters to me is what Jesus thinks. That's the only thing. That's the barometer. That's the standard. That's the goal. That's my aim. And that's all, therefore, that matters. Well, that's a good, healthy place to be because now we're not going to, again, rise or fall based on our press clippings or what people think about our ministry. But rather, at the end of the day, we're just pressing on, moving forward, doing that which God has given us simply in the expectation of hearing at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you Lord over many. Come and enter into the joy of your Lord. That is a beautiful thing that I long to hear. I know you long to hear. And that becomes the motivation for what we do, not what everyone else might think about it. And truth be told, I will tell you this, that uh, having been in ministry now for a little while, um, you will get lots of compliments. You will get lots of critiques. If these things are going to wear you down, it's going to be very tough for us to continue on being faithful in ministry. Um, a nickel's worth of free advice about ministry is that you always must remain soft-hearted, tender-hearted, but you also need to remain thick-skinned. And so that's just that'll carry you far in ministry. But again, our motivation is always and really only the Lord's recognition, the Lord's favor, the Lord's acknowledgement that we're being faithful in that kind of a thing. Let me take a moment and specifically now speak to pastors and Bible teachers in this regard because this is something I can... Um, understand a little bit, you know, something that um, obviously speaks to me in, in this regard. And so let me just share a couple of things. Um, Paul would go on here to talk about how he's held this kind of, um, uh, put this sort of mantle upon not only himself, but also on Apollos. And the idea being that as they would teach them, the encouragement was that the Corinthians would not 
go beyond what is written. In other words, they would learn to be faithful to what God has said in his word. And that responsibility to teach that uh, was something that Paul, Apollos, others, uh, Timothy and, and uh, Silas and others in his ministry throughout, not just in Corinth, but elsewhere. This was something that is a strong encouragement for teachers to be faithful to the word of God and to teach so that people might live by it and not really go beyond it. Okay, and to that end, I just want to point out a few scriptures that really make this point. Um, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, let me just read here. Notice here what Paul says to Timothy, who is a young pastor who is responsible for teaching and feeding the flock of God for their health and safety. Notice he says here in verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience is seared. And he goes on then to speak of examples of this. But notice the encouragement now to, uh, to Timothy here in verses 13 through 16, where Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you, and practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Again, this idea of just pouring yourself into that which God has given you stewardship of. Pouring yourself uh, uh, into them so that all may see your progress and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And he's not specifically speaking of salvation as much as he's talking about keeping people safe from false teaching, which of course can lead away from salvation in that. But the idea here is you will protect those under your charge, those whom you've been given stewardship over. If you are a good steward of the word, you will keep those under your charge healthy and safe from false teaching. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This, of course, is standard fare for a Bible teacher to know and to understand. In verse 15, um, Paul encourages Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth. The idea of cutting straight the word, making sure that you are faithfully teaching it as it is written and not doing something else with it. Uh, also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, he says, uh, uh, he charges uh, Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but instead will raise up for them false teachers who will tickle their ears and such. The idea here of preaching the word, rebuke, exhort, train up, do all of these things. If you're worried about what people think, you're not going to do this. It is important that churches and pastors in particular of those churches teach the word of God and to do so without hesitation, without stuttering, without skipping over the hard parts, without skipping over the convicting parts. To speak about truth, to speak about sin, to speak about salvation, to speak about Christ as the only way, to speak openly about that which the, the scriptures teach, because in doing so we will protect our hearers from false doctrine and being led astray, and we will feed them faithfully so that they will grow strong in their faith and ultimately multiply. And so it becomes hugely important that as pastors and Bible teachers, that we do not uh, diminish, water down, 
move away from, set aside the Word of God, but teach it as ultimately we're called to teach it. After all, why not? Notice, uh, since we're in 2 Timothy, look at uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 16 and 17, where Paul says this to Timothy. Now, this should convince us of the importance of centering on the Word of God in our churches. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for uh, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, and of course the women of God as well, may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. The idea there is growing to maturity, that we might be thoroughly equipped for all that we do in the name of Christ. Well, how do we do that if not by training in the Word of God? And so therefore, when Paul speaks about stewardship, on the one hand, he is speaking specifically in 1 Corinthians about that particular responsibility, having been entrusted with the mysteries of the revelation of God and and being sure to teach those there in Corinth so that they would not move beyond it, but that they would fully trust in God's revealed word. But in principle, as we said, there is something to this that is true of us, whatever our stewardship might be. In other words, if you're not a Bible teacher or a pastor, if, if that's not the call that God's put on your life, in no way does that mean that any less faithfulness over that stewardship and servanthood is expected. Of course, the same is expected no matter what we're given. Again, you might be serving in ministry. You might think that, well, I'm not serving in ministry because I'm just serving my family. Just serving your family, that's huge. Uh, Serving your family and helping them to know the Lord and teaching them to walk in the ways of God, setting an example for your children, helping them to grow up in the faith as well. This is not some lesser thing. Some might even argue this is every bit, if not more important than most of the ministry that we quote-unquote ministry that we tend to do. Um, I'll share this. I'm from Chicago, and so I'm familiar with an evangelist named Billy Sunday. Some of you may be familiar with him. Well, Billy Sunday, uh, at the end of uh, an explosive evangelistic ministry that went on for a number of years, he had a tremendous regret at the end of his life, and that was that a number of his kids had never come to know the Lord. Uh, Many others, thousands of others, had come to faith through his ministry But those closest to him, some of his own children, never did. So if you think your ministry to your family is somehow lesser than some official title like pastor or evangelist or something, let me suggest that looking right back at the beginning of where we started today, being an under rower for Christ means that labels don't really matter. Um, When I typically introduce myself to somebody, I don't introduce myself as Pastor Brian. Uh, Number one, because it makes people feel funny. They feel like they suddenly have to check everything that they say and all that kind of thing. But the other reason is because I shouldn't have to hide behind a label. I shouldn't have to find my validation in in a label. Uh, If people know that I'm a pastor, then that means I have a greater responsibility, that I I should know the word. I should be living a lifestyle according to what Paul talks uh, to Timothy and Titus about. I should be living out my faith in a much more open way for people to be able to see it and that kind of a thing. But the label itself should not be my sense of validation. Truth is, my sense of validation should be, as Paul said, that validation that only comes from Christ, not what others think of my ministry. I'm not called to rise or fall by the accolades or the criticisms of others, but simply by what my master thinks about me. That's the call we all have. That's the encouragement from Paul's words to the Corinthians there. And that's the word I'll leave us with today. Father, we just pray that you'd help us to see beyond um, maybe our superficial ideas of what it means to be a servant, to be a minister, 
uh, but rather to recognize that you've called us to service, whether there's a recognized label or not, to be under rowers, to be concerned with simply doing what you've given us to do without worrying about recognition from those around us, to take the place of the lowest servant, whether it's that picture of a, uh, an, uh, someone rowing under the deck of a ship or whether it's the picture of Christ himself getting down on his knees and washing the feet of his disciples, taking on the lowest job in the house. Uh, Father, even as he said, if we want to be, even consider what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom, then we have to be the servant of all. It just turns everything on its head. Help us to see that for what it is and to recognize it's really not about anything except faithfulness to that which you've given us, faithfulness to you. So help us to be good stewards and good servants as you've called us to be. We love you, we thank you and praise you and ask you to help us in all these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Change us and change our thinking from the inside out in these regards. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have any comments or thoughts or anything, as always, I welcome you to leave them on our comment section here under our YouTube video, or if you want to go to my website at parsonspad.com, you can do the same there. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the audio version of this podcast as well from uh, parsonspad.com, and you can listen to it on your favorite podcasting outlet, iTunes and otherwise. Um, you can also go to our church's website where you can email me. You can watch our Sunday morning services live, um, and... Um, um, you can also email me from ParsonsPad as well, ParsonsPad.com. So thanks for watching, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time as we look to the Word of God and as we seek to understand it, digest it, apply it, uh, and ultimately grow in our relationship with Christ. God bless you until we see you next time.